Hey everyone, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for faith and life. Guess what, guys? Today is episode 50 of the podcast, and I want to thank all you beautiful people out there who've been with me since the beginning. It's been such an incredible journey. Now, if you're new to us, thanks for tuning in today. Don't forget to subscribe, uh, leave a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts, and comment wherever you can. It all helps get the word out about what God is doing through this platform. Now, today's episode is PG-13. We're talking about the impact of pornography, how it impacts the brain. This is may not be a conversation you want to dive into with your seven or eight-year-old. This is a super important conversation and one I'm probably even going to make my 14-year-old listen to because I think he needs to hear the impacts of pornography on the brain. The person giving us all this great information is Rosie McKinney. She's an author, a podcaster, and head of the Fight for Love Ministries. She shares so much truth today, so much of her short story. And, and I was really taken back by how well she expresses the effects of porn on the brain and how porn uh, impacts your marriage. She also shares the need for rigorous honesty and what healing from porn can do for your faith, and an aspect I had never even thought of. There's so much goodness in this conversation. I know you're going to love it. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with Fight for Love Ministries head, Rosie McKinney. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. So excited to have a podcaster and author, Rosie McKinney, here today. She has just uh, published a brand new resource for m- women specifically, but also for really married couples all over the place called Fight for Love. Rosie, thank you so much for taking time to be on the podcast today. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. I'm very happy to be here. Well, and we're, in, we're living in that COVID-19 coronavirus world, and we were just talking before we recorded, any chance to talk to somebody different for an extrovert like me is such a blessing. <laughs> exactly. I've got an hour away from my children. This is awesome. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which has become harder and harder to find that uh, alone time. And uh, so it, it's, yes. I'm, I hate away at the, uh, at the church office to record in silence. So I, again, I appreciate you taking the time today. You're in California, right? I am in California and it's raining. What's with that? No, it's beautiful here in Ohio and that never What's happened. What's with that? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, so let, let's jump right in. Um, this resource kind of book is, is a little bit about your story. It's a little bit about the process of uh, dealing with pornography and marriage. Where does your passion for this come from? If you could kind of share us kind of the origin story of how all this was birthed inside of your heart. Sure. So um, this was my story. Mm. This was our story, my husband and I. Um, So I have a a personal interest in this story. We've also, um, since we got out of recovery, uh, sorry, since we went into recovery, we started our own groups and uh, we created a ministry called Fight for Love. And we wanted to take this message of hope out to other couples. So over the last 10 years, we have ministered to, you know, hundreds of couples. My husband retrained as a certified sexual addiction therapist. So he does this day in, day out. Now he was a pastor, right? He was a pastor. Yes. He was a pastor. So could you just kind of, I mean, so I'm a pastor obviously. And so it feels like, um, how easy is it for someone who's supposed to be on this righteous walk to just kind of fall into uh, pornography addiction, 
how does how do, how does all this happen to a guy like Mark and and to somebody like you? How do, how does this well, I don't know I think, spin out of control? I guess. Well, I think for a lot of people, it starts in their teens. It starts mm. really early, so this isn't something that just comes out of the blue. Right. And from what I've been reading, pastors are more susceptible. You're more um, isolated. There's more pressure on you, and you can't come forward in the same way that that people can because of the expectations of of your congregants. Um, so it would be wonderful if we had a complete transformation of how the church views this and just get it out in the open that everybody's struggling. If you look at the statistics, I think it was what one in, what, what does it say? One in 10 senior pastors and one in five youth pastors are struggling, wow. you know, and, and that's people who desperately, desperately need help. They don't need to be shamed or punished. They need help. And I, I see it as a wonderful opportunity to get healthy and then share that with your congregation but we need to change the culture so that people are okay with actually we are sinners who go to church and we are broken and we all need it you know it's like we didn't when we walked in the door we didn't become shiny which uh you know so that's why we we do view porn addiction as a gift which is very um unexpected but in your marriage it can be a gift because through through recovery you don't just get rid of the porn you actually get something so much better you discover a level of intimacy and trust that you never had before and transparency and authenticity and i think that could happen in the church i think this would force us up against the red sea and it's like okay we have to be transparent we have to be authentic this is eating us alive if you look at the statistics what is it 79 percent of men in evangelical church regularly using porn the numbers of women and girls rapidly growing this is eating us alive but I see it as a great opportunity. If you were going to create a church culture from scratch, let's say that you're queen of the world, uh, effective immediately, uh, and uh, you were going to create a brand new church culture that embraced this, the, I, I'm hesitant to say proper way, in a way that sees it as a gift, um, what would, what's the first thing that you would do to create that culture? I mean, and, and as, I'm asking as a church leader, like how can I create that culture in my church? I think it's twofold. I think you have to regularly have um, people sharing their testimonies. You need to Mm. encourage this culture of it's okay. We're all broken. This is just in different ways. Um, And I think you need to preach the gospel really hard. That's what's (laughs) going to, you know, I I think, you know, stop um, sin management, stop improving ourselves. And actually we are sinners who need a great and mighty savior And here's the reason why Um, our numbers are just the same as everybody else outside there, but we have hope. We have a savior. And I think that's how we become like, you know, that beacon on a hill, not because we don't have a porn problem, but because we admit we do. And then we point to the one who can save us, who can heal us, who can transform transform our lives. Can you imagine if people were going, Hey, there's this church in town and there's 50% porn free. It'd be like, Really? I'm going to go there. The right. wives would be dragging their husbands, you know, or just honest about it. Like, do you know what? We're the church who deals with this. We mm-hmm. did a, we did a, a service at our church and we got 24 people to stand up with us with t-shirts. They did it in the middle of the speech. It was very dramatic. So Mark talked, I talked, and then we said, and we're here to show you that Um, freedom is possible and then all these people like ripped off their shirts and had t-shirts underneath and came up and stood on the stage and we'd got all ages people with babies and you know there was a standing ovation there were tears 
just because people are desperate to see hope they're desperate to see that people can come out of the shadows of this and that freedom is possible and the shame of this is not going to kill them you know like there were you know you could see people going oh my goodness i never realized they struggled they struggled and then from that you know people were coming forward left right and center because they just need to see people so and i've heard from ted roberts who does pure design oh, ministries yeah, no i know ted yeah we, yeah we had him come in at, and do a sexy christians retreat for us uh, at the last church i was at wonderful and i know his thing was like you just have to keep it regular you don't do porn and pancakes once a year you know you do you, this has to be regular this mm -hmm. is this is part of our thing because if you think about proportionally what people are struggling with this is what they're struggling with so proportionally you have to address it that much and why, why do you think talking about pornography and just sex addiction in general is such a taboo topic in the church any thoughts on that that's a great question can I be really honest? Yeah. I think it's bad theology. Yeah. Because- My gut reaction was that I'm just scared. Yeah, but if you look at the Bible, I mean, I mean, what about women with sexual sin? Right, no, we but never you, talk about that. <laughs> you never talk about that, but you know, can you think of a time in the New Testament where Jesus ministered to a man who had sexual sin or sexual brokenness? Uh, no. No, it's always women. It's, it's always all, women. It's always women. It's like he was saying, I need you to understand that we are all susceptible. We are all vulnerable. Stop putting women on a pedestal that is unachievable, you know, and let them be who I came to save. So, so obviously you've kind of developed your theology on this over a time period. How did you get from um, finding out that your husband was in the the throes of, of this addiction to where you are now, if you could give us yeah, kind of that Reader's sure. Digest version. Yeah, absolutely. So my story is different in the details, but it's similar in the arc. And um, by that, I mean that the reason the majority, the vast majority of people get into recovery is their wife says enough. Hmm. She has got to that point of desperation and pain and just says, I can't do this anymore. I have tried everything. I have tried to compete with it. I have tried to turn a blind eye. I have tried to be graceful. I, you know, it, nothing is working. This is getting worse enough. You know, either you get help or I'm getting help, but this is not continuing. That was the point. That's, that's when things happen. So I did that on day eight of the marriage. Oh, but, the, <laughs> but before you get too impressed, <laughs> the only reason I did that is because I'd already been through this with a previous oh. relationship before I became a Christian. So it's kind of like I have the same trajectory as every other wife, but it's like split into two people. So I had tried for years in a previous relationship and nothing works, nothing works. It's really, you know, the betrayal and the deception is so traumatizing and painful and affects you on so many levels. And um, I didn't know how to handle it. I didn't know what to do. And eventually that just fell apart. So then I became a Christian and I met my husband. And then when I realized that this was going to be an issue again, it was like PTSD. It was like, no, I'm not right. doing this again. So I did early intervention completely inadvertently and it was the right thing to do, but mm. I had no idea. So that's the whole thesis of my book, that early intervention is the way, is, is, is the ideal way to deal with this issue. The earlier you can deal with it, um, the better because there's less damage to your 
relationship, there's less damage to his brain, there's less damage to your heart. And then you can start that process when the damage is less. But the only reason I did that was because I'd done it before. So most people have like years of that process and being traumatized and desperate. And then the recovery process is also really hard because you've got years of betrayal, years of deception, mm. and it's not deliberate deception. And that's what, it doesn't make it any less painful, but it's not deliberate deception. It's that you're, as an addict, you are protecting your habit. You know it hurts your wife, but you can't help it. So you're stuck in this vicious cycle and you have no idea how to get out. And you know, the, the, all the science will, shows that it's affecting your prefrontal cortex. You can't actually think straight. Yeah. So, so talk about that. You, you mentioned that in, in your response and I see it all over your writing that there's, there's physical damage to the brain that, that pornography rewires um, the, the way that we think. Now, full disclosure, I, I have got uh, seven years sober uh, as an alcoholic. And so I'm, I'm very familiar with the recovery world. And so for me, what you're saying makes all the sense in the world. Cause I, I always used to think that um, I was a binge drinker. So if two was good, then four was better than eight. And if I'm in for eight, I might as well just do the case. Right. But it wasn't all the time. And I was very functional. I was pastoring at the time through it all. Um, I, I think that there's an interesting development though, in the damage to the brain, if you could kind of help us yeah. see that holistically. Yeah, um, absolutely. So in a nutshell, it makes you depressed, dissatisfied, and dumb. Mm. So that's in a nutshell. But if you're going into it... And it's very catchy. Depressed, dissatisfied, and dumb. Thank you. (laughs) Like, I can remember that. Exactly. And and there's sort of, there is scientific evidence for all those things, why it makes you more critical and dissatisfied with your spouse, why it makes you depressed, because it lowers the baseline of of happiness. So you have to get your drug in order to actually feel normal again. Mm -hmm. And it's progressive and it escalates so actually you're getting more and more miserable and then uh you know makes you dumb it's that hypofrontality you know the the same effect on your brain as when you have a car crash but to go back to how it rewires the brain um yeah it literally hijacks the reward center of your brain because deep in our brain there's this primitive reward circuitry that produces dopamine and a cocktail of other feel-good chemicals every time we do something that theoretically furthers our survival So when we do an activity like eating or having sex, we're biologically rewarded and it it rewards us, it motivates us to repeat the behavior. But the trouble is it can be hijacked by counterfeit substitutes like Mm. pornography. And as you watch porn, your brain is tricked into pumping out the same feel good cocktail as it would as if you were seeing or engaging with a real mate. However, if you are having a real encounter, eventually you'd feel satisfied. There's a natural bill off switch for natural pleasures like food or sex. Dopamine stops being produced. But here's the thing with porn. With internet porn, there's no off switch. Right. The dopamine just keeps on coming. You can literally binge for days. And all you need to keep the spikes of dopamine coming, keep them endlessly surging, is to click on something new, something more stimulating. And the internet will provide that as deep and as dark as you need to go, it will allow you to go there. And I think this is the reason why pornography is getting so dark and so weird because we're getting bored, we're getting tolerant and we need that new novelty, that new shock value in order to keep the dopamine coming. Um, hey, so, your husband said something in, in the podcast uh, that you guys recently did together that, that really 
just struck my heart in a convicting kind of way. He said, it's, this is one of the few drugs that you can do that won't ever cause you to pass out. Yeah. Like, like so yeah. if I drank too much, eventually I would pass out and, and certainly had did, you, you know, and if, if somebody was using a hard drug, um, you know, eventually your body just can't handle any more of this, but, but kind of what I hear you saying and what he said is that this could go on. I mean, this literally could go on for days. Yeah. Until you're injured. Right. To be graphic. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's what women are trying to compete with. That incredible high. And it's utterly impossible for a real woman to compete. Even porn stars have come forward and said, in my real relationship, he prefers porn. It's like, but you're the porn star. It's like women have got to understand that you cannot compete with this artificial supernormal stimulus you know this crate it's like trying to compete with cocaine it's like you can't so how, how did you how did you get to a place where you, where you could love your husband through that because it for me that feels like in, incredibly like uh, for uh, you know like uh, what what do you do with that i think it really helps to understand the science because uh you understand that it's a, a disease just like alcohol you know alcoholism that the, the the, the, the reason why it's so particularly painful is because, um, you know, it, it's, it's, so, it's so intimate. It, it does affect your sex life so profoundly in one of two ways. And I can go into that if you like, because that's quite um, in, informative for wives. Um, yeah, let's jump into it. I'm, I'm here for all of it. Okay, so there are two main ways that porn sort of affects your sex life. Either about 50% of guys, they become hypersexual. They want to imitate what they've seen. They want more frequent sex. Um, they want to sort of, you know, push the boundaries and wives feel pressured and coerced into doing things that they feel uncomfortable with and that they have to sort of emulate the look or the, so it goes that way. Mm -hmm. Or, which is less known, is actually guys become sexually avoidant. They've actually conditioned their brain to prefer pornography to actually having sex. And this is just devastating to women because they look at the pornography and think, well, I don't look like that. I don't want to do that. There's no way, you know, I, I, I can't, this is a reflection on my inadequacy or he's just not into me. And it's nothing to do with her. It's just that the more porn you watch, the more your brain is conditioned to want more porn. It's this horrible, addictive um, cycle. And, and there are studies that have proven that the more you watch, the more you need to be thinking about it while you're with your actual partner in order to remain aroused, which is just devastating. So I have so many wives say to me, it just feels like he's not there. And I say, where are you? And, you know, we know where he is. Right. So your, your original question, I've remembered it now, is how do you get back to a place? Right. right. So I'm all over the place. <laughs> There's so much here. It feels like such a big topic. It is huge. It is huge. So how do you get back there? I love that question because it really helps to understand that it's a, it's a disease. But mm. the other thing is, in this process, this wasn't just for my husband's healing. This was for my healing. And I had no idea. I thought, this is your problem. You're going to get fixed. Right. And then, and then you'll be perfect, like I'm perfect, and we'll be happy. Actually, you know, the, <laughs> one of the reasons that I started looking at my own stuff is like, well, hang on, you're an addict. The one before was an addict. Why do I keep picking addicts? What's wrong with me? <laughs> <Right>. and, and, <laughs> and my That's main reason was like, was like, I don't want the next one to be an addict. <laughs> I, I've got to stop this. Um, so I started, you know, frantically going through the, the literature, 
that, you know, my therapist was like, she sent me into an independent bookstore to ask for these titles. I thought that was really cruel. Anyway, <laughs> I know I was there going, and, and the guy behind the counter, I don't know whether he was pretending to be deaf, but like, I had to repeat it a couple of times. Anyway, so you don't want to go and ask for embarrassing titles. Anyway, so um, I was reading the literature and then I stumbled across codependency and I'm like, mm. oh, that's what, that's what it is. And first of all, I was kind of a bit shocked because it was like, oh, I really have issues. And then I just felt this huge surge of hope, like oh, I can get better. I can wow. heal. I don't have to repeat these destructive self-sabotaging patterns anymore. There is a path for me. So what happened with my husband and I is like, because it was so dramatic and so traumatic and so horrific, but I'd moved 6,000 miles to the, UK, to the US from the UK and I'd left my beautiful job and my family and my support network. And I was like, okay, I'm going to get healthy. That's my goal right now because right. I can't control whether or not you get healthy, but I can control whether or not I get healthy. So we kind of became allies. So instead of you know looking at each other and being antagonistic, it's like we became allies on our own recovery journeys. So that's what we pursued for the, that initial early time. And, you know, it was different in our case because we hadn't got years of hurt and betrayal and deception. Sure. But there was certainly a lot of damage and brokenness, but we could, and even though we sort of did trigger each other because he was still in a little bit in crazy addict brain and I was still in sort of codependent controlling crazy mode, you know, there was certainly friction and it was difficult, but we both had this goal of like, I don't know how we keep doing this, but we are going to stop doing this. And so we became allies and walked along parallel healing paths. And then I just watched him struggle and mm -hmm it broke my heart. And then the more I learned about porn addiction, I realized, you know, this is bondage. This is deep, horrific, demonic bondage. And it broke my heart. This started so early for him and there was no one to guide him, to help him, to show him that there was another way. And it really did wreck so many years. And he tried everything. This wasn't, you know, he, he spent what, $25,000 on different therapies to try and get free until he Ooh. found the thing that worked. I know. Fortunately, that wasn't with me. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I could, I could see him with compassion as someone who was very sick, but it really helped understanding that I was also broken and that we were just broken in different ways. We were just both desperately in need. Well, it, it, does, cre it does create a whole uh, different feeling of grace. Yeah. When you, when you approach your marriage by saying, hey, listen, I'm, I'm broken we we not be broken in the same ways, but we're both broken. Yeah. Um, what, what was the thing that eventually he healed him or, or put him in a place where he wasn't using or, or in recovery? Being a hundred percent rigorously honest, mm. past, present, going forward, getting into that incredible. I mean, he, he went to a therapist, but he was done. He was done. And I think, some people, it's circumstances that make them done. Sometimes it's the wife. Sometimes it's losing a job, you know, something, you know, they're caught by the police or something or other people, they are just done. And I think you do have to hit that. You have to hit that rock bottom. And he was prepared to do whatever it took. And the thing that gets you sober is walking hundred percent in the light because yeah. that's biblical. If you look at one John one, seven, walk in the light as he is in the light. And then you have fellowship. 
and the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, will cleanse you from your sin. It, 99% of the truth is still a lie. You have to be 100% honest. And that's about your own feelings because the problem isn't actually pornography. Pornography is actually a solution to a much deeper problem, which is an intimacy disorder. It's when you're not being authentic and genuine and honest with where you are. So porn becomes your coping mechanism. So what you need to do is replace. Mark uses the analogy of, he says, you know, porn is the candy bar. And a lot of recovery groups go, don't, don't eat the candy bar, don't eat the candy bar. And it's like, well, you need to replace it with something because just don't eat the candy bar doesn't work. So you need to replace it with that level of fellowship that you just don't get unless you're forced to. Like, I love 12-step groups. Yeah. I wish the church was like 12-step groups. It's, oh, me too. It's, and it's really weird because my preconception of 12-step groups was like, oh, I don't ever want to be one of those people who has to go to one of those groups. And now if I meet somebody and they go, you know, I'm in recovery, my heart gives a little skip like, oh, you're one of us. You get it. You're able <laughs> to be honest. You're able to be really honest. You're able to call yourself on your own stuff. And that makes me feel safe. And there's a level of joy and freedom in that mm. transparency because everybody's messed up. Everybody. But only a few people are aware of it. I don't know why the church has suddenly, like, uh, everyone's okay admitting um, that they're a sinner, or a lot of people are, but we're, we're scared to use the word in, in reference to like, oh, hey, you're just a sinner, just like I am. And all of a sudden, that's being judgmental. It gets, that gets yeah. really wonky to me when I, when I hear uh, people talk like that. What, what, as I kind of heard your story, one of the things I heard was this idea about codependency. And so um, I would imagine that you, if, if we're speaking in to a lot of wives who, who may be listening um, and their husband is in the midst of a porn addiction, do, do they, does everybody who's married to somebody with a porn addiction, I guess male or female have healing to do on their own? Is it both sides? Cause it, it doesn't necessarily, I'm, what's the correlation there? Um, yes. Is the short answer. Wives always have healing to do. However, not all wives are codependent. Got there it. are sort of two models. Um, a lot of wives do identify as being codependent, but there's also a trauma model, which means that you, because you have been living in this um, atmosphere of betrayal and deception for so long, you have now developed coping mechanisms with this abnormal situation. Where actually, you need to unpick and unwind and heal from because it's really, it's really, really traumatizing for a wife to be in this situation and not be able to tell anybody and wives don't they just don't even though i am now you know officially the porn lady at church you know which is not a good title I ever <laughs> my mama is not proud <laughs> i didn't know how to respond to that. i'm glad you yeah. handled it because i was like yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. i'm probably not going to call you the porn lady i, I just yeah. had a great conversation with the porn lady yeah no, cool. i don't think i don't think that's gonna fly no okay well tell that to the people in my church right um <laughs> but they They'll come up to me and they'll go, can I have your husband's number? Like, I'm like, do you want to chat? Do you want support? And they're like, they don't want to chat. It's, which is really weird. And then they'll get into recovery and then we'll chat. It's, it's like, it takes so much to come, to, to come forward. Mm. I've completely forgotten where I was going with that. Sorry, Tony. No, that's okay. Uh, we were talking about codependency and uh, healing and the healing yes. path for the partner that um, isn't addicted to the porn, but is still in the marriage or relationship. 
Yeah, so support for the wife is crucial. It is key. And there are even therapists who won't take on guys if their wives refuse to get into recovery with them, which is fairly brutal, but it makes sense. Um, because you can't have, you know, even though you didn't cause your, um, your unhealthy ways of coping with the situation, you've still developed them. And you've also been traumatized. You know, it is traumatizing to be betrayed and deceived. And for, for most wives, if not all, it's the deception that really mm. ruins the relationship. It's like, I can, I can forgive what you've done. I can understand possibly what you've done, but you had control over whether or not you lied to me. And that's what really gets, you know, really breaks your heart. And that's why they, you know, recovery is a slow process, but it is possible. And what I say, because wives always ask me like, how will I ever trust him again? Is it even possible? Because it looks pretty bleak at the beginning. But the way that you do develop trust is you have, uh, you observe their trustworthy actions over time. Mm. So are they taking the actions of recovery? Are they in a good group? And I can tell you how to identify a good group. Are they making phone calls? Are they telling the truth? Have they done a full disclosure? You know, are they being authentic with their feelings with you? Are they expressing how they're feeling? How are things changing? And when you see those, you can start to build that trust because you can't trust their words at the beginning. But I, I think one of the things you said that resonates is over time. Yeah. We, we, there's a line from Craig Rochelle that we use all the time in our house that trust is, is given, mistrust is earned. Yeah. And so yeah. once you give us a reason to mistrust you, then it, it's a process of rebuilding that. Um, so, so what does, uh, there's two questions. What does a good group look like? And then I, I think we've probably now caused a lot of people who are listening to wonder, um, uh, about porn usage in their relationship. Could, could mm -hmm. you tell us the difference between uh, dabbling in pornography mm -hmm. and addiction and, um, and what to do in either case, I guess, because I feel like the responses are a little different. Yeah, absolutely. What was your first question there? The first question was about the signs of a good group. Okay, signs of a good group. Rigorous honesty. Mm. No collusion with secrets. So none of this you can tell me that you're that you've looked at porn but you're not telling your wife you know you you cannot build trust based on a lie you have to they have to tell their wives they have to do a full disclosure um and also there needs to be some people with sobriety yeah and if you if there is nobody in your church with sobriety borrow somebody literally say you've got a good group at your church I need to borrow one or two guys from you while we get a level of sobriety because otherwise you get a sympathy group, not a recovery group. And it's like, Oh yeah, man, I struggled. This was a really hard week. Yeah, me too. And they don't actually say what they struggled with. You have to be explicit with what you did because otherwise it can be minimized and you can't have a culture where we're all struggling and it's okay. It's like, no, the expectation has to be, there are no excuses. There is no, um, you know, there's no condemnation for acting out. However, there is condemnation for not telling the truth about him and not doing your actions, which are like making calls, like make a call before you act out, make a call after you act out. Can't stop you acting out. However, we can make you be honest about it. So yeah, I love that. Yeah. Aggressive and, honesty. Rigorous on a hundred percent in the light. And it's really hard, especially in those early days, because literally 
your brain is jelly and you need the other guys in the group who are sober to act as a surrogate prefrontal cortex and say, you're full of it, you know, because they believe that the problem is their wife. It's because she's like this or she's like that. And it's like, no, this is the porn talking. You know, it's not true. Do you do your calls, make your calls, do the work, and then we'll talk. And to be honest, I, I remember my husband telling me that in the early days, his sponsor just used to say, shut up, you're crazy, go and make her a cup of tea. And that was it. <laughs> that, that was his advice, but it's like, you That's are, you're love, crazy. Right? That is love. That is love. Yeah, and we need, love. we need to love each other, not like, oh, I know it's really hard and you don't have to tell your wife. It's like, mm-mm. So, but that's a process. So that's why you need somebody qualified or somebody who has a, a, a period of sobriety. Borrow them. This is the, you know, the body of Christ. Yeah, it, ha- it has to happen. Sounds- so the difference between dabbling and full-blown addiction when it comes to pornography, because I, I think uh, there's probably a lot of guys who are listening right now who, um, who maybe are addicted that don't even know it. Yes. I think the definition of addiction is continuing despite adverse consequences, but practically how do you discern that is there's an online test. There's a free online test and you can get it. Um, We can put the link in the show notes. That'd be great. um, Where you can go on and actually you can start to think about actually, do I do this? Do I do that? Um, And, and and literally it tells you to say, okay, you're, you're this level. You can probably handle this with accountability you know, above that, you're going to need professional help. You're in the swamp. Your brain isn't working correctly. You know, trust somebody else. Um, but I think, I think guys know if they're struggling, if they say they're struggling, they're struggling, I think. Yeah. And if they're struggling, it's probably like, if you're struggling you're probably already the point of the addiction. Yeah. Just try and stop. That'll tell you. Right. Right. So I, I was deployed, uh, in 2007 and I was, um, in a, I was doing marriage retreats for soldiers coming back from deployment, but my wife was here in Ohio and I was in Minnesota and uh, I, I was dabbling in pornography. My computer uh, got a virus uh, as is often the case because of how bad those sites are. And uh, so then I had to take it in and not only did I have to tell my wife then, but I also had to tell, which is interesting. Like I, it was easier for me to tell my wife than it was for me to tell the guy who was discipling me at the time, who was my mentor, my chaplain in the office. And that was the, the it was, it was him that it wasn't my wife. Like it, no. it was, my wife was super and she, you know, obviously we're 1200 miles apart. Like, you know, there was like, there was a lot of reasons to justify the, the actions. And we were both pretty young at the time. Um, that is such a good point. Because what my husband often does in his group for guys, he will get the wife to write a letter and then he will read it to the guy in front of the other guys. And it's at that, I know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah you never... guys can't see me. I'm shaking my head. My whole blood pressure just went yeah, up a exactly. little bit. Like... He'll never get a call again. But it's at that point where the other guys go, what are you doing? Yeah. That, that, that it wakes them up because the wife's just like Charlie Brown's teacher is like, wow, 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 wow. You know, you hurt me. You blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, it's just white noise. Get the other guys to go, uh, uh-uh, that's totally unacceptable. Why do you think that is though? Why, why do guys, um, I guess, I guess, why are we so quick to hurt our wives? And so, um, so scared to be embarrassed in front of other people. Any thoughts? Ooh, I'm not a guy. So, um, 
because you're watching porn. I don't right. know. <laughs> right. I, I, my, I mean, my initial thought is, is pride and ego, right? Like um, my wife already knows how messed up I am. And so. I think it's uh, hard. I think, it, I think it's just, it, it's justifications and blaming the wife is a side effect of, of watching, of watching porn. It literally changes the way that you view mm-hmm. your wife. It literally does that. So it, it's not that you're unfairly, well, you are unfairly blaming her, but you actually believe it. You actually believe it. And, and the thing is, you're feeling bad about this behavior that you can't stop. And she's the one who's causing it. If only she'd change, then it wouldn't be quite a struggle for you. If that makes sense. Uh, no, it makes perfect sense. I, I was thinking back to 2007, 2008. And I think for me during that time period, it was like, well, my wife's not here anyway. So like, it, yeah. I'm not, I'm not doing anything wrong because, and I, you know, I've seen a lot of soldiers over the years and totally. that's often the case is that pornography becomes an acceptable habit because well, our wives aren't there, it's, it's better than having an affair, but it, it's really not, is it? It's really the same. It's absolutely the same. And if you think about it, I always think if like in the town square, we had, you know, that act being done, would you all go around and watch it? I mean, it's like. Right. Absolutely not. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely not. And, you know, if you think about what it is that you're watching, especially nowadays, this is, you know, sexual exploitation and abuse. This is not people. This is not naked women. This is not you know, two people having consensual sex and just a bit of voyeurism. This is really dark stuff now and it's only getting worse. And there is no guarantee that what you're watching was, you know, is consensual, you know, and there's so much abuse and violence. How, how can, how, but we have this permissive, you know, attitude in society where objectification and commodification of, of women and children and, and men is acceptable and there is no way that that aligns with our christian values you know the actual you know no matter the effect on other people and your own brain but what you're actually doing is damaging it is perpetuating this system it is contributing and now with what Pornhub have just done by gifting their subscription services to the world during this crisis when people are anxious and vulnerable and trapped is absolutely abhorrent yeah, and I'll tell you that that um, well, it really fires me up that part yeah. of what they're doing. I, I and I, I want more of the church to to be upset about that because I feel like um, I feel like it's just being ignored in a lot of ways that they're they're giving away this subscription. Well, you know, ser- yeah, you like, know why people aren't upset, don't you? Right, because they're using it. Because they're doing it, right? And, and, but the people who aren't doing it the narrow window of people who aren't doing are women who aren't using it. There is like this um, diminishing window of people who are not watching it, who can stand up. And that's what my book is all about. It's about empowering and equipping those women whose brains aren't addled or they're not, uh, you know, they're not doing it themselves to stand up and say enough we should be protesting about women and children being exploited we should be protesting about our children and our husbands being enslaved to this demonic horrific you know pandemic of porn why aren't we outraged i don't want any more women's groups on feeling busy or you know why aren't we discussing this topic i don't understand it because you know over 50 percent of of women admit that it's a problem in their, in their marriage. 
and they are hurting. They are so desperately hurting. We've just opened up a Facebook group um, for, you know, we were going to do one anyway with our ministry. Um, but I thought now's the time because things are really heating up in the house and the, the stories on there are heartbreaking, heartbreaking of women feeling trapped by, you know, what's going on, helpless, the messages that the world is, is pushing at them, that porn is harmless, this is, porn is educating, it doesn't affect your marriage. And if you have a problem with it, you're the problem. It's like, come on church, we can do better than this. Well, we have to do better than this. So in that Facebook group, when you see one of those heartbreaking stories of somebody who's trying to figure out what to do with this oppression in their lives, what, what's the, I mean, what's the, what do we do? What do we do? Yeah, well, I, sort of a three-step foot for women in this situation. Firstly, educate yourself mm. to crush that shame, to crush that lie that it, this is any way your fault. So once you understand that, it's like, oh, okay. Secondly, get support. You have to get hooked into support. This is really hard to do on your own. I did it on my own. It's horrible. You know, most women do it on their own for a long time before they find support. But once you find that support, it is amazing. It is the best thing ever. Um, and the third step, you have to take a firm stand. You have mm. to take that firm stance and say, this is zero tolerance. I love you too much. I love our marriage too much to let it be destroyed by pornography. And I know you might not be in agreement, but we're going to get help. And here's the number. Yeah. Is this one of those moments where you're, you're draw, drawing that boundary line that like, um, if this doesn't change, then I mean, I'm leaving say that because I'm not going to advocate anybody to leave, but I would say you have to take whatever steps you need to protect yourself. The Bible's quite clear that women are told to keep themselves pure. And I think that means protecting yourself from pornography because in marriage two become one. And if he's filling his head full of that, you know, there is no way that that is not going to affect you. So you might have to draw boundaries within your marriage. And I'm not going to put them out step by step because they're different in each situation. But I would like women to be able to draw that firm line um, calmly and firmly because they're educated right. instead of that desperate, that's it. I mean, I did a, I'm, I got back from honeymoon. I called the divorce lawyer and I froze the bank account. I scared my husband to death. He's like, no. what, have, <laughs> what have I married? Um, <laughs> Eight but it was days like, in, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, but it was like, I, I am serious. I am serious. And it wasn't, and, and that the point that I want to make is like, when wives do it to manipulate their husbands, you know, like, if you don't do this, I'm going to leave you. Never works. Never works. It's when the wife is done. Mm. And you get there two ways, either being done or educating yourself and going, I now understand this is not getting better. Well, and that's where the support group's going to come in. Because you, yeah. you're not, get, I mean, that line that you're talking about is so fine to try to walk it on your own. It yeah. would be like walking on shards of glass, I would imagine. Like it would be very painful. I just can't imagine how, how hard that would be to do it on your own. So, so what's the message to the guy who is realizing through this conversation that he's got an addiction? Freedom is possible. It's possible. It really is possible. And I think that's really important because uh, most guys who are struggling have tried so many times to stop. Mm. And they just think it's not possible. They're, they're, they are somehow different and you know, it's just, it's like, it is possible. You just haven't tried the thing that works yet. And you, you need to apply the same diligence and ferociousness to recovery as you do to the addiction. You need to chat because let's face it, addicts are determined and they are resourceful and they are, you know, these are good qualities, right. but you need to use those good qualities in your recovery. You need to channel them um, into your recovery. And like, 
I am getting free from this and I'm going to do whatever it takes and I'm going to take advice and it's going to be humbling and it's going to suck and I'm going to have to, uh, you know, do things that are uncomfortable, but I want to be free and it's so worth it. It's, you know, I think for a lot of guys who, um, got into this so young, you don't know what life could be like without this thing. You have no idea. This isn't just affecting your relationship with your wife. This is affecting your relationship with your children, with your parents, with your colleagues, with your friends, with everybody. You want your your ministry to increase? You know, do this one step. Repent of this problem, you know, and, and deal with it. Transformation is possible. Freedom is possible. And I think two messages that need to come from the pulpit really strongly. Freedom is possible. And secondly, um, wives, you have to stand up and I've got your back. I've got your back. Because wives need to hear that. Well, I, I can't imagine how, how alone it might feel to, to feel like you're trying to wrestle with your husband's pornography addiction by yourself. Yeah. Right. And, and the church needs, I, I just, that resonates that the church needs to be a place where we can, you know, we can have these conversations and we can talk about it. and It's not going to be taboo. It's, it's yeah, going to be okay. And, and include the women. You, these talks to men on their own they're not that effective in terms of getting guys to come forward. You need to talk to your women if you want couples to come forward because it's the wife that always drags them. So you can't just talk to the guys because the guys are sitting there going, and they all put their hands up. You know, my husband's told me like everyone put, who's struggling? Yes, they all put their hands up, but no one comes forward because then the, you know, the porn brain gets going again and it's like, well, I can't, whatever. So mm. you need to talk to the people whose brains are working, the wives who are being affected, talk to them, educate them and say, it's possible. Let's do this. You know, and you, you want to, I, I would just, I would love to see what happens in the church for, you know, I mean, where the wives are given that message. Oh my goodness. Hold on to your hats. <laughs> right. right. And, and that's what your, that's what your new book is all about, right? Fight Absolutely. for love. Absolutely. It's about how to empower those women. So where can people, um, so our conversation is being released the same week as your book, which is that uh, we're super excited about. And where can people go to pick up a copy of fight for your love? It is available wherever books are sold. Um, but because of what's going on at the moment, uh, Amazon are deprioritizing book orders at the moment. So Those jerks. To- <laughs> We've all got toilet paper now. Right. Um, uh, so um, Lifeway, um, who are publishing the book, yeah. they fortunately have an online store. And at the moment, there's a 44% discount. So Ooh. I know. So if you pre-order it, um, mind you, if this podcast is going out, you won't be able to pre-order it then. Um, but, right. but you will get your book on time. That's excellent. And so what we'll do is we'll link to the Lifeway in there. And then what's the website for the, the test that you had mentioned? Is that so on your website or? If you go to our website, which is fightforloveministries.org, mm-hmm. um, on the resource page, it's there. And there's loads of resources there for um, finding a therapist, books for wives, books for parents, books for um, codependency, just lots of useful stuff there. And, and while she's talking, Rosie, I'll also say that you put out some great content on Twitter with, uh, you, you've got a lot of just good reminders, I think. And that's also where you're, um, you see a lot of your podcast episodes that are going out. And so your podcast is kind of geared all around this as well, isn't it? Our podcast is, um, we describe it as like The View but about porn. Um, so it's a panel discussion group and there's myself and four other wives and we sit around the table and we take a question from a listener each week. Like, will I ever trust him again? How do I know if it's getting better? 
um, and then discuss that. And what's wonderful is that it doesn't just become my story then or my opinion. You now hear from a collection of people with different views, uh, not uh, different experiences rather. Um, and we're all singing the same hymn sheet that um, it's possible, you know, there's a bunch of five women in porn-free marriages and that doesn't happen often. No, I, I, no, I can't imagine it would. You know, and, and the crazy thing is these women were like excited and enthusiastic about sharing their stories. You know, there's no shame on the other side. That's the thing you think going in, oh, if anybody knew, you go into it and you go, I can't wait to tell the world this is awesome, which is bizarre, but true. That's, that sounds so bizarre, but, but you know, hope, hope is always good. Hope is always good. And so dealing, you know, being a hope dealer, like, like you and those ladies are, that's got to be, that's got to feel very rewarding to know that, that the redemptive nature of what God can do despite the sin. It's incredible. I mean, every week they minister to me as, you know, I sort of edit the episodes and they're ministering to me and they're just glorifying God. You know, it's, it's beautiful. It really is. Well, so the last question I always love to ask people is, um, if you could go back and give yourself one piece of advice and now specifically, I want to take you to day eight, <laughs> right? If, if you could go back there and you could talk to, to that Rosie right then, what's the one piece of advice that you would give yourself? Find support earlier mm. or try harder. I mean, I did try, but I would have just told myself that finding support will change everything. So, so, you know, I did, I started groups. I was the one doing it, but I would, I could have been more tenacious and got there quicker. I love that. Be, be relentless and finding support. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Um, Rosie, that went by really fast. Thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate your passion for this and what you're doing for the church. Thank you. It's been lovely to talk to you. Really lovely. Hey, everybody. Thanks again for taking the time today to listen to the podcast with Rosie. I know that you found as much in it as I did. Um, I was just, again, really struck by this impact of pornography on the brain and in the marriage and what that means for so many of us. So I, I hope that you'll check out her website, Fight for Love. We'll link to that in the show notes where you can pick up her new book, Fight for Love, which comes out today, the same day as the uh the podcast and and you know maybe you need to buy it for a friend or a family member or yourself and um you know i i would really appreciate it if you could let rosie know how much this conversation meant to you and get the word out about what god's doing through her ministries so as always our uh, my hope and prayer is that today's conversation helped you reclaim some new practices for faith and life we'll see you guys next week <music>